Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of my podcast. Uh, I'm very thrilled because today I have a special guest that I'm going to have, a, a, I think, an interesting talk with. His name is Matthew Brannan. And um, I've met Matthew a couple of times when I was doing inspiration trips in China with, uh, with Nextworks. And uh, yeah, Matthew is, is world famous for his expertise um, uh, about platforms like, like WeChat. He has written a book about it and he's mentioned in almost every you know, important medium in the world um, asking for his expertise. And, and basically the world got to know the power of WeChat thanks to Matthew. So he is the reference about that. And now he has released a new book called The Attention Factory. It's the story of TikTok and the mother company behind it, ByteDance. So I'm very, very thrilled to have Matthew in the show. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to be here. How, how's your life been in the last uh, few months? Eh? Normally you live in China. Um, how, how was mm -hmm. Corona for you? How was 2020 for you? Yeah, well, a large part of 2020 was putting together this book, I guess. Um, I've had this opportunity to be away from China for most of the year um, due to the situation with coronavirus. When it broke out, uh, I was traveling outside. And uh, yeah, but it's been really nice to actually sit down and research this uh, competitor of, of WeChat, of Tencent, uh, which is one of the fastest growing, most interesting companies in the world, uh, ByteDance, and really um, spend a lot of time doing research and now with the book out, I'm, I'm doing a lot of promotion and getting to know um, a lot of new people, actually, because this, the company we're going to talk about today, it, I just realized that usually I'm dealing with people who are interested in Chinese technology. Now, that's what I've been known for and what I specialize in for, for many years now. Mm -hmm. But with ByteDance and especially with TikTok, it's become a global phenomenon. So I find all kinds of people are reaching out and wanting to know about this topic that usually would not be interested in China um, internet innovation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, really quite fascinating. And when I did start the project um, earlier this at the beginning of this year, um, I didn't expect it to be like this, to be honest. Um, even going back, you know, 10 months from now, or uh, yeah, around that time, the sort of global awareness in this topic was at a completely different level. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really just been a fantastic sort of ride to be, you know, researching and writing this and, and, and editing it together with, with, my, with my editor, Rita, cool. and, uh, and, and, and seeing how all this stuff is developing and, and every day the story is changing around this. Uh, right. It's just kind of crazy. Cool. Well, I, and I think everyone knows TikTok, right? And it exploded in growth and there was a lot of controversy around it in some markets. So it's, it's, it's a global phenomenon. But there are not that many people who are aware of the, the broadness and the size of the mother company behind it, ByteDance. And maybe we, we can start there. Can, can you just tell us a little bit about the different industries ByteDance is and, and just tell us how, how big this organization is? Yeah, so ByteDance is one of China's largest internet companies. Mm -hmm. um, it's a relatively young organization, however. It's only eight years old. So definitely a mobile-first internet giant. Uh, the traditional flagship product of ByteDance is an app called Totiao. Mm -hmm. And Totiao is a household name in China. 
but is relatively unknown outside of the Chinese market. It's a news aggregator, and um, the closest or the easiest way to describe it, rather, would be uh, somewhat like the Facebook newsfeed without the social element. So, without any friends or family, it's simply a scrolling newsfeed of ad.、Uh, sorry, of、um, of articles and videos, and obviously adverts in there as well. And、uh, and that's what this company was known for for many years as as the Totiao company. In fact, most people just refer to the company as Totiao. The name ByteDance wasn't really used, even though that was the official name of the company.、Um, wasn't used that much, even by employees, up until、uh, maybe two or three years ago. Um, but today, ByteDance, since the breakout in short video, first of Douyin and secondly of of TikTok, now today has has transformed itself into a internet leviathan, a sort of conglomerate,、uh, which is one day you know destined to reach the levels of a of a Facebook or a Tencent. Or even an Alibaba in terms of、uh, certainly its valuation,、uh, but also the complexity and the number of internet services which it will uh, offer, uh, the number of apps that it has in the market in China is already you know, quite substantial. There's something like thirty or forty apps that it has, and it's moved quite aggressively into areas such as gaming,、uh, education, and it's also starting to offer fintech services and move into areas like enterprise productivity. So、um, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a complex organization today. Okay, well, what what is sometimes difficult for me to understand is, you know, I I see all these Chinese companies. They they start with one application and then become they, they become a broad platform. They go into financial services. They go to in all these markets, but、mm. in many of these markets, there is already an established player. Like you have WeChat for payments, you have Alipay. You have Ant Financial that is so large. Now these guys also go into financial services. How how does this work in in China? I mean, isn't there at a certain point a certain market leader, and then it's hard to get into the market? It seems to be much faster in its change and in its flexibility of of habits. How how does that work? Yeah, there's a couple of factors at play. I think、um, broadly overall, over, sorry, broadly overall in China, there's a logic, a business logic to do with the internet that everyone believes traffic is king. So, if you have large amount of traffic and user base, that you should be able to use that to convert into a variety of different services. And certainly, that's one thing ByteDance absolutely does have: is massive amounts of traffic, mass- massive amounts of users.、Uh, the best statistic to give an indication of that is the daily active users of the Chinese version of TikTok. Daily active users is six hundred million now. So that's over half. Of every in, of all of the internet users in China opening that app on a daily basis, the average time spent in the app is something like half an hour to forty-five minutes. So that's quite a lot of attention. That's you know that's why we call the book Attention Factory.、Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have that absolutely unimaginable amount of attention and traffic,、um, the logic is you will be able to convert that over into a, a variety of different services. Some work better than others. You know, casual game. Gaming works extremely well、uh, for for converting those、um, entertainment-driven sort of user behavior that we see in TikTok over into that kind of、um, industry. Things like payments and fintech help with the e-commerce aspect of the experience. 
And of course, they have so many adverts in there. Many of them are adverts for app downloads. And so the company itself will allocate a, quite a significant portion of its own advertising inventory in order to acquire users for new services. Okay. And then the, lo the other logic behind it, I think, is that uh, the sort of octopus model that the um, Chinese internet companies very much subscribe to, where you have all of these tentacles, all of these different business lines coming out, but it's only really one or two of them that are the cash cows that really generate the revenue. The other ones are mostly out there in order to, um, for a couple of reasons. One is to just avoid being disrupted. These companies are paranoid about something coming out of left field and coming over and becoming a threat to their business. And actually, that's exactly what ByteDance did to Tencent in the last few years with short video. Um, but also, uh, they feel that you know they can create an ecosystem. These are ecosystem companies, and they want to keep every user within their ecosystem. And so, in order to do that, they need to offer a lot of different services. Okay, and and obviously TikTok is is the attention grabber of uh, the whole ByteDance group, not just in China but but in many many places around the world. Mm -hmm. How did they become so successful? I mean, many people see it as some you know funny platform where people dance and make funny jokes. Um, but there are a lot of people who question that, you know, why, why could this become such a, or why did this become such a game changer in, in social, social media? Sure. I think for many years, that's where it was. Um, the history of the platform, which we go, uh, which we um, explain extensively in the book. Um, it, it really started mostly with uh, apps like Musical.ly, which mm -hmm. were, used predominantly by teens and preteens. Right. It's actually quite interesting there. Uh, I, I just want a, a side note here is that today we all know how powerful TikTok is, um, but really with the early adopters of this technology were young people, um, you know, teens and preteens, and they were the first to really see the potential in this format. So that's an interesting thing where you see that new technologies often get picked up by young people early. And that's a strong indicator of that when you see a usage behavior that's um, being embraced by young people, but hasn't yet reached other, <clears throat> other demographics, that this thing could be, have a, a much bigger potential than people realize. Yeah. Um, I think the same with voice technology right now in the way that I see my daughter use voice technology is quite different to how I would use it and how she speaks to smart speakers um, is very natural and uh, I don't use them in that way, but it speaks to me that there is a, a large potential there. Um, so uh, going back to your uh, original question, you know, how did this get so big? <clears throat> the, uh, to, to put it bluntly, the, the user experience is just high, very compelling. And if you use the product yourself, I'm, I'm sure you have, Stephen, you know, um, you, you will know that. You will know how addictive it is and you will know how um, it will learn your preferences very fast. I mean, you're a user, I assume. How do you feel about the experience of using TikTok? Well, it, it, is, it, it is fun. Huh? I mean, you, you enter on the platform and then you go from one video to another and, and it's like you're being drawn into it is my feeling you know you 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 experience new things and it's 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 completely different than facebook and instagram where it's where it's more slow it's more boring compared to tiktok so it's 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 very you know, it's very intriguing how indeed it becomes addictive i think that's my uh, my observation i've i've posted a few things on tiktok myself and it's also crazy to see i have a very limited follower count on tiktok i'm an i'm an I'm not a popular person on that platform at all, 
but still it's it's very easy to get quite some reach with some videos that you post that was also something that really caught my attention mm. Mm. yeah well certainly that did help in the early days um on every internet platform the same dynamic plays out which is supply and demand of content mm -hmm. so on traditional platforms or we say traditional they're not that old but if if we talk about things like instagram or youtube um the balance of supply and demand is actually right now is is more in favor of oversupply of content right. that basically everybody's on those platforms every brand is on those platforms mm -hmm. and they're very noisy they're saturated and so it's extremely difficult to build a following whereas uh for the past two years tiktok has been the exact opposite there's been too many users and not enough quality content producers and so it's been extremely easy especially if you were one of the early adopters to grow a very sizable following and there's many stories of people doing that yeah well that's that's that that's cool and and i think one of the the topics that a lot of people talk about is the algorithm behind it and for many people mm. it's, it's very intriguing how it works and in your book you spend a lot of time on that on the recommendation engines of ByteDance and how you know how smart they are to work with else can, can you share your your research results about those recommendation engines engines sorry i was really really intrigued by that part in your book yeah i would say that's probably one of the core concepts of the book because it's one of the it's probably the core of the company if we have to nail down uh, what is ByteDance? What is their core competency? What makes this company different from other companies? Um, certainly during the um, early years of the company, even through to today, um, their secret weapon, to quote the head of the AI labs, is that they have the largest uh, machine learning uh, engine for content. And so this machine learning recommendation engine um, is really something they've specialized in. They have a very large team in Beijing and uh, very, you know, best in class um, data scientists, engineers who are working on this. And what they've built uh, really is very impressive. And it's as good as anything that the Silicon Valley giants uh, have, have built in this area. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people are, are you know very interested in the algorithm um, because that is what's driving the addictiveness that we alluded to earlier. That's what's making this uh, product so compelling. Yeah, and 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 what is the difference, then, for instance, with the Facebook algorithm? Well, the core difference is not one that it's um, somehow that ByteDance has some magic technology that no other company has. Um, it's actually more to do with, I believe, the, how the product's constructed itself. So due to how the user experience works, I'll just describe it. You know, when you open up TikTok, you essentially content just hits you straight away and you have to make a reaction to that content. Uh, you either swipe up or you watch it. Those are basically the two options and doing nothing, it means that you like it, right? So even by not reacting, you are still giving a very strong indicator to the algorithm of what your content preference is. And swipe up or watch um, or maybe like, um, all of these interactions are very fast and light and within the space of say even 60 seconds, you will be given, you'll be training this algorithm um, multiple times within that period as to what your content preferences are. So yeah. the speed of which you are training the algorithm is much faster than other platforms. Mm -hmm. And the indications that you're giving as to your content preference are very strong and clear. So 
it's not so much that the algorithm's better, it's that you are training it much faster and you are training it very clearly as to what you like and don't like. So that's really the power of TikTok is that it's sort of a perfect combination of this user experience together with this technology. Mm -hmm. But um, let, let's talk for a second about uh, the recommendation engines, um, not just on TikTok, but also on Totiao. Uh, you mentioned it in the beginning of the talk. Uh, I've been very fascinated by Totiao. I've used it many times in keynotes, and you're absolutely right. They're, they're, most people in Western markets have never heard of it, but it's, it's huge. It's, it seems to be very addictive if I look at the results of their, uh, mm. of their consumer research. And what I've seen is that an average Chinese person spends about 74 minutes a day on Tutiao, which is like 50% more than on Facebook. So that is huge. Um, so again, there, the recommendation engine is grabbing the attention of the user. Um, but I'm just wondering uh, if I, I can understand how a recommendation engine works for something like TikTok. But if you talk about news aggregation and you put a filter on the kind of news that people see based on the algorithm to grab their attention, I understand the business model behind it. And I understand that that is driving more and more attention to, to Tiao and to ByteDance. But isn't there... Um, some sort of, of, of danger for society that you give people only the kind of news that they are interested in and aren't you putting a filter on their view on the world? That, that's like a, a big theme in terms of, of impact on society. And I was wondering what your opinion is about that. Uh, yeah, so this um, is a sort of classic conundrum, I guess, of, of machine learning and, and content recommendation of exploit versus explore, where essentially you have a choice to feed people more of what they what you know they already like um, or you have the choice of showing them new content which they may or may not like and um, most you know this is something that i think that every platform struggles with where's the balance there uh, between you know uh, if you want to play things safe, you just feed things that you feed your users with content you know they will like yes. um, with with these platforms, they do benefit from the fact that uh, the content is quite light. So actually this plays well into um, ByteDance leading more towards explore. Uh, if you do use uh, TikTok, you know, you will notice that the platform does, um, it doesn't stick on one type of content for very long. Um, it will actually feed you new form it will test the boundaries very quickly with you and constantly push forward into new forms of content to keep things fresh okay. and that's something that they've learned you know benefits them in the long run because if you people get bored easily um, but it also does bode well for the what you're alluding to where um, you know we can go down these rabbit holes uh, you know the famous YouTube rabbit holes of people sort of uh, seeing more and more um, extreme content once the algorithm learns that you have a preference for, for that mm -hmm. and there certainly are problems around that um, I, I would agree that to some degree uh, recommendation does um, lead to uh, exasperating divisions within society. And so this is absolutely something I think regulators need to be aware of, the platforms themselves need to be aware of, and as society, we know we need to educate ourselves around the dangers of this. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I think it's a difficult one, and I can, I can follow the idea that TikTok is light content and it's exploring, but with news, it can have a significant impact on how people look at, uh, at the world. I mean, we've seen this with Facebook. 
um, where, where you're being drawn into a bubble. I think if it's a news website by itself or a news app, that th their influence on the opinions that people have on society is, is really big. So it's, it's going to be one of the challenging ethical questions. And, I, you know, in the last few months, um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. In the last few months, I've, I've read articles um, where the Chinese government seems to be more and more concerned about the power of their flagship technology companies like Alibaba, like they stopped the IPO of and financial services. How do you think this will play out? Are they, are they going to you know, lower the power of some of these platforms or is this just something that is being mentioned in the media but is not a big thing? What, what, what's going on there? No, it's interesting. There's a lot to unpack here. So um, just some general points here. You might not agree with how the Chinese government um, you know, censors content um, or how they govern um, their country in certain respects. But I think it is kind of undeniable that they are actually quite progressive in how they look at um, internet technologies and how they're starting to regulate them or have been regulating them over the over the first over the past few years, um, you only have to look at you know how they're trying to lead the world with digital currencies as a sort of clear example of that. Um, but with here, there seems to be a general trend in that it's become very clear that the government in China is expecting these large internet companies, which are mostly you know highly profitable, very fast growing, um, mm. to actually have a clear benefit to society they're asking the questions okay it's great that you've got a very profitable advertisement business but what are you doing to make china a better place what are you doing uh, to push forward the boundaries of technology um, to the benefit of society um, so every chinese internet company of certain scale is now having to prove to the government and to society in general that you know we are really um, sort of tech for good, I think is the cheesy phrase that a lot of people refer to. Um, but there is a sort of um, uh, definitely a trend in this area where you will see again and again, internet, different internet companies are trying to pitch themselves and specialize in certain areas. So I'll give you an example, like Pindodo, for example, one of the largest e-commerce platforms is trying to uh, specialize in um, agri-tech and increase the efficiency and optimize the value chain within uh, the rural area um, agriculture industry for fruit and vegetables. Um, but and, is this, a, is this a, a real KPI then from the government, Matthew, that the government is really saying, okay, guys, prove us that you're adding value to society and not just making money? Is that, how, how do they have to yeah. prove that? How does that work? These, these things are, are, are um, you know, it's fuzzy. There's no direct KPIs, right? Okay. But um, Certainly, that's, that's quite clearly the trend. Uh, Tencent has been doing this with industrial internet for the past two years, where um, they, the government came down on them quite heavily in 2018 because uh, of the gaming industry. They really don't see much value um, in that to society. Where, so they decided that we need to enforce what today are some of the harshest regulations on gaming in the world are in China because the government's very concerned about addiction in gaming and they don't see it as really adding much value to society. Um, so Tencent made the strategic choice to uh, pivot towards industrial internet, which is enabling a digitalization of traditional industries, whether that's education, healthcare, uh, fintech, etc. Uh, and that's something that the government sees a very big benefit in, that there's a lot of inefficiency in those industries that they need to digitalize. And a company like Tencent 
that has so much expertise over the 22 years that it's been operating, it's one of the oldest uh, technology companies in China, um, can really add a big benefit there. So again, again, you know, we see that time and again, uh, these companies are trying to uh, demonstrate their value to society. For ByteDance, they have they chosen education. Uh, education is one of the areas that the founder, Zhang Yimin, feels very passionate about. And there's also a lot of, uh, you know, potential for this recommendation technology uh, to be applied um, to education, uh, to personalize courses. Uh, at the end of the day, what the technology does is um, it takes in data from your, from your activity and tags a user, user profile and uses that to personalize an experience. Whether that's uh, articles in Totiao or videos in TikTok, it could also be used for questions in an exam um, or videos for a course for you to learn something. Um, so the potential is, is there. Uh, I think there's still got a long way to go in education, um, but I would expect them, you know, they are very committed to education quite clearly. Right. And I think that's, that's what's going on. But this sounds, this sounds wonderful, but, but, but I'm sure that many people who are listening to this are going to be more skeptical about what you're saying huh? because there, there's this contrast, right? The things that you're telling me now are, are brilliant. You have a government that is motivating its companies to add value to society on different levels. And the examples that you give make a lot of sense. At the same time, in Europe, in the US, in India, uh, we get warnings about uh, how, dangerous, how dangerous it is to work with Chinese technology. TikTok is banned in India. We mm -hmm. know the difficulties in the US, like I live in Belgium. This week, one of our executives from the government said, be careful, don't put TikTok on a phone where you also have your uh, professional emails on because that's dangerous. I mean, we're getting warned and there are a lot of people who are very skeptical towards the intentions of this Chinese technology. Whereas you just said, well, they're trying to, to save the planet. How, how does that match up? What, what, what's, what's the real story behind this? Who should we believe? Well, if you're being cynical, I think, you know, I didn't... Uh, we're not saying save the planet. We're saying demonstrate your value to Chinese society. Yeah, that's true. Right? So um, I don't think there's much discussion over. Um, it's, it's it's less focused around doing global good. Although I do believe that would be a, a also happen. Um, it's more about how do you make China a stronger country? I think is more of the uh, of what they're getting at. Um, so something like gaming doesn't really do that, but helping healthcare digitalize does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I see both arguments. I see both worlds. You know, I've, um, I'm obviously, I don't see China as, as a scary place as other people do mm -hmm. um, simply because, you know, I've lived there most of my adult life and I see the human side of the country. Yeah. And I believe, you know, Chinese people are, are, are actually, you know, still people and, and very similar to Europeans and North Americans in many respects. So um, it's having said that, you know, um, I think we should we, skepticism is a good thing. Uh, we we in, we, we shouldn't forget, you know, what happened with, say, um, Edward Snowden and all of the uh, things there with uh, the American government spying on, on people. Um, it's very possible that China could do the same things. Right. Yeah. So uh, the potential there for abuse of this of this power is, is absolutely clear. And uh, I think, you know, we, it's it's right to be uh, to to enforce regulation in market to protect against that and also for individuals to be aware of those risks. Right. Um, I do think in terms of 
TikTok, perhaps, however, this has been overblown a little bit. Um, but regardless, uh, most people have already made their mind up. So um, I, I, I feel it would be less of an issue probably next year because it's quite clear that TikTok will break off from ByteDance and become a separate company. And that company will probably be headquartered in America. Um, so when yeah. that does happen, perhaps people will be um, more positive towards uh, the, these aspects with regard to TikTok. And how, how do they look at this in China? Because, I mean, we're, we're talking about it like it's the most normal thing in the world that the TikTok will become a separate company and that the HQ will be based in America. But in, in my opinion, this is the first time that a government is imposing an organization to to, re, to, to reposition its headquarters. Huh? It's like, imagine that China would do the same with Google and that Google would partly become a Chinese company and that their global headquarters had to be based in China. I'm not sure if the people in the US would get excited about this idea. How, how no. did they react on this in, in China? Well, I think Chinese, obviously they don't like it. <laughs> it's not a good yeah. thing, but they, I think they actually most people do accept it. Um, simply because I think Chinese are more aware of how, um, and I think Western markets are also becoming aware of this, how internet services are a critical part of the economy, that we can't treat something online as being any different, say, from uh, other utilities such as gas, electric, or the food supply chain. Um, there's many regulations in these markets uh, to protect, say, European countries um, from, you know, their, they, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't, example, put all of your um, electricity supply and rely that on a foreign country. Most people would say it would be foolhardy. Um, what happens if that country turns around and cuts off the electricity? Suddenly, <laughs> nothing works in your country. And yeah. the same thing here with internet services. That they're, on the, they're on the same level as gas, electric, and water as an essential utility for daily life and for functioning of the real economy, not just the virtual economy. Yeah. And so... Um, company it, it's the obvious conclusion there is that um eventually internet services will be regulated around the world in a similar way to gas electric or or, or food uh, and that means it will become fragmented and there will be local regulations and many parts of it will become nationalized eventually mm -hmm. and uh, what we saw to, in the last 25 years with the emergence of the internet, um, mainly coming from California and embracing values um, of the companies and individuals who pioneered this area, which were very much ones of globalization, openness, uh, things like uh, open source and sharing, uh, are the values of the internet in its early years. Um, that can't stay the same forever. And I think it will simply become um, like other industries where on a nation by nation basis, uh, the rules, regulations and platforms that we use uh, will be different. Okay, well, very interesting. So today we see centralization of power, mainly Chinese, mainly North America, 10 years, 15 years from now, more decentralized, if I hear you right. Yeah, I think it's inevitable. And, you know, especially with COVID, I don't think it's a good trend. I, I don't like it, to be honest. But, you know, I, we have to accept the reality that um, the I think the perception before was that online was its separate, a separate industry. Now it's become integral to every industry. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID has really put this in our face um, right. that during these lockdowns uh, that we've relied on online services so much in order to keep functioning and uh, the reality of what the world is today in 2020 has, has you know, um, is undeniable uh, to regulators, governments, and industry. So 
um, yeah, hopefully we can do it in a good way, in a positive way. Um, but it's the splintering of the internet is, is, is happening already and will accelerate. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Maybe, maybe last question, uh, Matthew, what, what can other companies learn from ByteDance? Hmm. Uh, there's a couple of lessons I think, uh, that we, that we go over in the book. I mean, um, they, the, the, the real, um, with, with the, with ByteDance, I think the power of the company, the, the, um, everything can be boiled down to the core insight of the founder when he started the company, uh, which was over the power of recommendations. So he actually understood content distribution uh, on the internet, whether it's search engines or social networks, that recommendation was the one that was most suitable for mobile. Mm. Uh, and so that conviction in that one core insight, which was a very, um, at the time, um, nobody thought it would be you know, that powerful, but that belief in that one core insight um, has really carried the company through and even manifest itself today in the global success of TikTok. Now, um, back in eight years ago when they started the company, nobody could have predicted that. But when you trace back the steps, when you look backwards, it becomes obvious that everything stems from that one core insight. So to founders or people who believe that they really do have a, a, a profound insight around a different belief to other people, um, Staying true to that core insight and believing in yourself, I think uh, ByteDance is a testament to that. And Zhang Yimin's conviction in his in his core belief at the founding of the company uh, has stayed true to that today, and that has really been the driver, the true driver of success. Yeah. And what do you think? Does every brand needs to go to TikTok? Um, <laughs> well, China market is about eighteen months ahead. Uh, if I speak to what's happening in China with TikTok, most brands are on there. Yeah. Um, but it is difficult. It's a little bit like YouTube. Um, brands will struggle with it. It's, it's not easy to make content as a brand for TikTok. That's, that's engaging. However, the adverts on there do work extremely well. So, you know, that's something that I think brands can keep in mind. Yeah. And the deal with Shopify, uh, where, where uh, merchants can just put their products in, in videos and, um, and people can buy directly from TikTok that could also have a, have a, big impact on, on the evolution of e-commerce, don't you think? Absolutely. And again, in the China market, we've seen that that's played out quite well for them. Uh, e-commerce does work in extremely well in this user experience and integrating those, um, that functionality through um, a collaboration with Walmart or Shopify or whoever is, is, is going to happen. Uh, I know that from speaking to the product team. So um, that's, that's absolutely on the roadmap and has already been integrated in, in some markets. Um, and, and so, yeah, that is an opportunity for e for e-commerce there for brands. If you have a product that works well, a low price point, uh, impulse buy, um, or something that can be demonstrated easily in on live stream or short video, then, um, perhaps that could be an interesting opportunity. All right. Hey, Matthew, thanks for the, for the conversation. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter, uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, you can find the book on Amazon. Um, and I put out content, yeah, mostly on those two platforms. Also, chinachannel.co is, is our website. All right, fantastic. The title of the book, everyone, is The Attention Factory, the story of TikTok and China's ByteDance, written by Matthew Brennan. Um, Matthew, thank you very much for joining my podcast and for sharing your expertise with my audience. I really appreciate that. I wish you a lot of success with your new book. Thank you, Stephen.
Thank you. Take care. All right.